What uh, do you, have you got anything for the cold open? Ah, oh, not really. I watched it stoned, so I wasn't really thinking. That might be why. I, that's why I didn't take down any notes. I mean, to be fair, I watched it like two hours ago, and I have, but I've had to be checking what I wrote down because I don't recall it at all. Because I watched an episode of One Piece afterwards, which is just significantly better. Uh... <laughs> should we should we just put this in as the cold open? <laughs> yeah, all right then. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 71. These are the continued voyages and whatever you. Uh, I'm Eddie, that's Mark. Uh, Mark, Mark, how you been? Yeah, I'm alright. What do you think is the superior volcano movie? Uh, vo- Dante's Peak or Volcano? It's Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak is literally Emma's favourite movie. If I was to lodge a, f- a, f- a, f- a contrary opinion, I would be kicked out. <laughs> hey, the thing that Dante's Peak really has going for it, I don't know... I, it's Brosnan. It, it's Brosnan, it's right? It's not just Brosnan. <laughs> well, Brosnan, he's really sexy in it. He's like a super sexy scientist. Like, he wore glasses in the 90s when that wasn't really the thing. Like, sexy specs <laughs> and all that. Like, he is great. But his indie backstory of his character, his wife was killed by a volcano. Uh, <laughs> and that's why he doesn't like it. Now, Tommy Lee Jones's character does not have that. However, I, I don't know. This may uh, displace uh, quite a large section of our audience. I don't give a fuck about small towns. Um, <laughs> small towns exist for Godzilla to step on, right? I do not care. But LA, that's a real problem you've got on your hands there because then uh, then uh, uh, Thingy's, Thingy's husband in Fargo, he jumps on the lava and he melts, doesn't he? Yeah. And that scene alone makes Volcano the superior <laughs> Volcano movie. Because the bit where the granny gets in the, the lake and she melts, I mean, yeah, that's all right. But No, no, you see, but I, I admire the boldness of Dante's Peak of going with the, okay, we're making a volcano movie, what are we going to do? And somebody goes, lava, and they go, no, it's a cliche. What we're going to do is the pyroclastic cloud. Boom. <laughs> I mean, you know that way that, like, um, you, you could, like, because right, so I am as as you probably can can tell from <clears throat> from this podcast, I I I I I consider myself a kind of pop culture historian. <laughs> like if there was a thing that I was maybe not an expert in, but if there was a thing where I'm like, I can back up all of my opinions on this with something that I have read or something that I can show you. I'd yeah, say it's you know, kind of the history of pop culture. I think that's true of both of us. I think it's yeah. the equivalent of like, right, you know, you know, like there are people who are really into like the, the the American Civil War and they go visit the Civil War battlefields. Yeah. Right. Pop culture doesn't have battlefields, but if it did, those would be the places that I'd visit and just go, this is the site where Armageddon cruelly destroyed Deep Impact. 
at the box but office I, if, the, if it, before the great ants bugs life war. Of- <laughs> yeah, if, if if pop culture did have a battlefield, it would be um, with uh, random facts uh, that, <laughs> that people wouldn't should know about, right? because as well as being obsessed just with pop culture itself. One of the things that I find really obsessive about, and Laura will tell you this, I bring this conversation up several times a week, which is basically, essentially it boils down to, do you think the kids today are into this, right? But what I really mean is generations from the baby boomers, because that's kind of where it started, we are defined by our pop culture more than we are defined by our actual culture uh, in a lot of ways. And it's things like... um, you could if you if you got any millennial right, and I'm talking a, a regular millennial, usually a, a guy, someone like us, someone who at least was the the tiniest bit nerdy, or who at least watched movies and TV enough to take it in, and you pointed to the sky and you went, "Find me Orion's belt." <laughs> They'd find it because it's in Men and What, right? They know it. It's it's literally the only thing that that we know about space. Um, but pyroclastic flow. There isn't a millennial alive who couldn't tell you what pyroclastic flow is. Um, because everyone saw at least one of those movies. Um, I just, e- even when I was a little boy, I was like, oh, LA's in danger. Oh, man, we need to do something about this. And then it was Dante's Peaks in danger. Don't give a fuck, mate. <laughs> Do you know what they should do a disaster movie of? Because there's this, there's this like theory that one of the Canary Islands or something, there's an island somewhere in the Atlantic that like half of it could just fall into the sea at any moment, and the resulting tidal wave would wipe out the eastern seaboard. Now that's a movie <laughs> I'd go watch. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Learn something about tidal waves. There aren't there aren't enough disaster movies being made to, for today's Gen Z kids to know enough about what to be afraid of. Now, no. okay, they know enough about being really afraid of climate change. <laughs> no, here's the thing: the 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 industry behind the um, disaster movie, and by industry, I do mean Roland Emmerich. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he disappeared up his own ass, and he isn't satisfied with doing a a what if like New York fell over right that's not good enough for him now he's got to do what if the moon attacked yeah. right and the answer is it won't because that's stupid <laughs> other than <laughs> other than Independence Day 2 which was a mistake yeah I, I will defend every Roland Emmerich movie to the death what including Moonfall <laughs> I really liked Moonfall no I didn't like Moonfall I, I that would be an inaccurate way of that would be a reductive way of describing my experience um, I really enjoyed watching Moonfall at the IMAX with two of my best friends and there was three other people in the audience and we'd just seen Jackass 4 um, oh, okay. it was like 2pm on a Wednesday afternoon and we were about three pints down and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen I enjoyed Moonfall in a way and let me explain that way I have seen um, one movie at the cinema more times than any other film and that movie is The Room. Now, I exist in a society where I have access to, when it comes to cinema, pretty much everything. Like, if, if, like I can gain access. I can like, literally fire up my phone, and within five minutes, I can be watching some of the greatest actors working with some of the greatest directors and working with some of the greatest writers of the day producing incredible art. 
But what I've come to accept about myself, Mark, is that I would rather watch Idiots Fail. <laughs> and that's what Moonfall was. Um, so I worked at the... So the, I, I used to work at the at the BFI IMAX. Um, and uh, I I kind of... It, 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 it was it was quite a cool place. Uh, for the most part, it, it it kind of operated a bit more like a theatre than a cinema. In that, it it gen- this is going to make me sound like a bit of a fucking snob, but it it generally employed people who were themselves creatives. Yeah. So in there, you were meet you know there was filmmakers, there was like visual artists, basic, and it was a zero hour contract, so it was like super easy to work around. It was it was an amazing job. Like, I absolutely adored that job. It's it's probably my fav one of my favourite jobs I've I've ever had. Uh, but you do meet like there was one uh, woman, a, a friend of mine, who like every year would go and just like volunteer at the Sundance Film Festival and, and shit like that, which is cool. But and she always, and she, but she had like I don't want to say sound insulting because I because I really I'm not going to name her, but because I, I really like her, I've got a lot of respect for her. But her opinions on films were usually fairly snobby. Which is fine. My opinions on things are very snobby as well. Do you know what I mean? It's fine. But um, I came in and I was like, we're going to watch Moonfall. And she was like, you are going to love it. She says, it is the fucking dumbest thing (laughs) you have ever seen. And because it is so unapologetically fucking dumb, it it kind of makes it amazing. Like, there there isn't a thing. Like, you're not going to sit there and be like, wow, this is bullshit. How come you can upload a virus on any computer? Which is explained in a deleted scene. Go fuck yourselves. Um, <laughs> but it's like so insane that it's like you won't you won't care. This this guy's an astronaut, right? And he saw a legit alien, uh, which killed his astronaut friend. And the problem is that he's going to be blamed for killing the other astronaut or something. <laughs> Can't really remember. And it's like like surely like if anyone if anyone if there's anyone qualified to sit in front of Congress and be like, there's an alien, it's an astronaut. <laughs> the Mexican yeah. UFO hearing. We will get. We'll get to Star Trek in a minute, James. But the, the Mexican <laughs> UFO hearings that are happening at the moment, like I, I, I don't buy any of it. Like quite frankly, like they're going to have to no. show me some serious fucking evidence. But if an astronaut sat in front of Congress and under oath said there are aliens and I have seen one, I'd be like, aliens exist. I, I've got to say this as well. This is this. This is going to be. This is going to sound really snobby. Mexico is not one of the countries I will take that seriously from. There are certain nations if they announce we've discovered aliens, like if France did it, I'd be like, okay, that's that's probably true. <laughs> right, but Mexico, I'm like, what's your angle? No, uh, I disagree, <laughs> right? Because aliens, like, if aliens are coming to Earth and not really making themselves known, it's because they are observing us. Also, I should I need to slow down. I've lived in Glasgow for so long that I speak too quickly. I've noticed myself doing it on this podcast, so apologies. Uh, no comments said anything about that. I've taken that on, taken that on myself. <laughs> um, but if the aliens are here to observe us, then they they would be like they're not doing it for a laugh. Do you know what I mean? They, they'd be take, <laughs> they'd, they'd be making observations and taking it back and going. Well, objectively, Scotland is better than England for this reason. Blah blah. blah. <laughs> and like, if they are able to, you know. If they can, if they can taste things, Mexican food <laughs> is objectively the the best food. So you you're saying that you want you'd expect the aliens to turn up in either a Mexico, b India, 
or C, Italy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. Uh, <laughs> um, before we get into Star Trek, we should also note we are we are recording this before dispatches, so uh, to to cover ourselves before for all all reactions, either oh what a shock, I didn't know that guy would do that. Uh, B, yeah, I knew exactly that guy would do that. And uh, C, we would like to publicly distance ourselves from Duffy Cons. Uh, <laughs> it's impressive that Walliams is continuing to get away with it <laughs> or, and, and E uh, uh, yeah I know it's Gervais <laughs> anyway I right it, look the, 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 the episode is Menage a Troy right it's a Loxana Troy episode who gives a fuck um, yeah. also, also just quick point if you're going to call an episode Menage a Troy Troy, and you're going to do it around this point in the series, and you do it as episode seventy-one, and not episode sixty-nine. Fuck you, idiots! F- fuck you, TNG writers' room. <laughs> I think that Gervais is too much of like I, G- Gervais is too out about the fact that he is a complete cunt. For him to have any skeletons. Oh yeah, that's a fair point. If yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, you, you it's can't. Just, he's a, you can't. Just, he's a horrible person. You can't go uh, around getting the type of feedback that Ricky Gervais presumably gets, <laughs> knowing that you have something that those people could find out about you. <laughs> All I'm going to say about Ricky Gervais is his hatred of trans people is nothing to do with protecting women because if you Google it, he has never said a single thing about his friend Louis C.K. sexually being sexually harassing women within the industry he works in, and he could stop it. And like, has he doesn't care? He doesn't care about women. He just hates trans people. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so it's a Luxana Troy episode. Uh, yeah, so. Um... And a Wesley episode as well as your B story. What what happens on this one? Um, <laughs> so t- Troy, they make some. Okay. What's the this, plot the, of this one? I watched it yesterday. There's a Ferengi wants to marry right. uh, Luxana because he thinks her telep- telepathic powers would be useful, and he fancies her. Um, but beyond that, there is. One important thing to talk about from this episode. There is a Ferengi doctor in this episode called Dr. Farrakh. And he is played by an actor called Ethan Phillips. Yep. Now, Ethan Star Phillips... Trek royalty, mate. Yeah. If, if you don't know Ethan Phillips, he is this one Ferengi and he is fucking Neelix. Um, he is probably... Uh, I'm going to say... I'd say he's probably the Star Trek regular who has had to spend the most time in makeup. Oh, yeah, because Neelix is a regular character because Jeffrey Coombs is always in makeup, but he's not on it all the time. Yeah. Neelix is in essentially every episode. Have you watched Lower Decks? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't got around to it yet. I'm, so, gonna, I'm watching One Piece at the moment, which is really good. It's really enjoyable. I'm going to spoil a little bit for you. Um, yeah. So, 
Lower Decks might as well be called Mike McMahon's Issues with Previous Episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> um, because the first episode of Season 4 is about them taking Voyager back to Earth from its like place in the Starship Museum. Right, um, okay. And it's all about uh, a Tuvix situation. Right, okay. Uh, and, and, I, and as soon as that happened, I thought to Laura, who doesn't really... Who, who isn't as, as far ingrained and I was and I was like, oh, I bet this is just going to be half an hour of commentary on how Janeway murdered a person, and it wasn't. I wasn't disappointed. There are several episodes of Voyager where the and this is this is what I'm gonna say. My problem isn't with the meat of the story; it's that the. the episode doesn't seem to realise that the crew of Voyager are the bad guys mm. Like, because you could sell that story of like oh Janeway has to kill this guy because she needs the information that the two that it's, isn't it she has she needs the information that Tuvok has to help get them home and that's like you could sell that but the fact that you don't have anybody else in the crew really react to it as being a bad or negative thing. That's what does it. And like Tuvok and Neelix should have been, there should have at least been an episode of them being weirdly conflicted over having been in their own individual being that just suffered essentially murder at the hands of Janeway, but also them being glad that they're back to, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, because that is brought up, like, like to be fair, in this episode of Lower Decks, they, 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 they do kind of, approach both sides because they are like well she, they were out in the Delta Quadrant and they did need uh, yeah. Tuvok back not so much Neelix but, but they needed Tuvok back for sure Yeah, and now this has happened in the Alpha Quadrant <laughs> so you know what's the ethical <laughs> thing to do um, and, it, and then there's, lot, there's lots of jokes about how like oh my god there's there's a swift breeze in space. Voyager's gonna get crushed or whatever. Like, like just how Voyager is just like the most useless ship in the fucking fleet. <laughs> oh man, the thing with Voyager is there's a TV show about how the crew of Voyager are rigidly sticking to the principles of the Federation. Um, and how that conflicts with their attempts to get home. And that's a story you can tell. And then there's also um, a crew has to abandon the ethics of the Federation in order to get home. And that's also a story you can tell. And all I would would would, would have wanted from Voyager is it to pick one uh, and not alternate weekly. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then each episode pretend that, that yeah, it is. Although it did give us the best Star Trek game, because if you haven't played Star Trek Elite Force... Oh, it's, uh, it's great! It's it's great! It's absolutely brilliant. Star Trek Bridge Bridge Command is better though. Um, okay, because uh, uh, I uh, you you get to choose what what you basically you get to be the captain, and if you're anything like me, you'll you'll sit and say the commands out loud, <laughs> even though you're selecting with the mouse. Like <laughs> uh, uh, weapons, target shields. I'll say that out loud. Um. Here's some uh, behind the scenes. Uh, in 2012, Ronald D. Moore remembered Gene Roddenberry performed a rewrite on Menage à Troy and added a questionable description of fruit during the picnic scene on Beta Z. Quote, 
Mrs. Troy reaches into the picnic basket and brings out an oscoid, uh, which is a long cylindrical piece of fruit with veins going down the side and offers it to Riker to take a bite. Okay, I have a question um, about something. To By do the way, with... just before you start that, I'm just going to preface everything that goes on with Kisber Bot. We're 19 minutes in, so there'll be about 30, 35 minutes left in this episode. Uh, if you think that this episode of this podcast is in any way going to revolve around the plot of this episode, you are sadly <laughs> mistaken. Uh, we might pull back to it very now, every now and again, but likelihood is we're going to go off on massive tangents. It's fucking Menage Troy. It's Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty funny, and Riker decks a guy after beating him at chess. That's the only things. Anyway, sorry, go on. It's. Uh, I'm gonna uh, say that, like, because, like, like I say, the the A plot in this is a Luxala Troy story. The B plot is a Wesley story, and the antagonists are the Ferengi, who aren't interesting until Deep Space Nine, right? Um, uh, all the all that's interesting in this episode is we learn it's possible to beam somebody out of their clothes. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, uh, I had a genuine question that something that did occur to me, and I I'm going to play. A, a rare compliment to Luxana Troy as a as a character. She is incredibly believable as Deanna Troy's mum. Yeah, big time. So now I have a question about that. Was was Deanna cast <laughs> specifically to look a bit like Majel Roddenberry, so that Gene had an excuse for putting his wife in the show? something he's done consistently through all Star Trek or was it a happy coincidence um I'd say it's more likely to be a happy coincidence to be honest mm. yeah okay but yeah I was just thinking you know, I, I, it, like she very much looks like she can be yeah uh, I mean it's her sis is uh, mum uh, and I also like the relationship between them in this episode I think finally Deanna has a bit of kickback where she's like will you just fuck off yeah, <laughs> um, when Deanna Troy, Alexander Troy is being incredibly sexist, where it's like, I know you've got a career on the flagship of the Enterprise, but would you be more happy if you were a mother? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I um, I looked into Beta Z uh, Society after this episode, and the most interesting thing about them, I found, uh, is that uh, there's basically no one lies on Beta yeah. Z. There's no point. Uh, there's no point in trying to be duplicitous if people can read your mind at will. Yeah. So the so beta, betazoids, yes, they are betazoids. The planet is beta Z. It's beta Z. Yeah. They messed that up in the in the episode. Um, <laughs> is that they always tell the truth because there's, there's there's just no point in hiding anything, which I I think is an incredibly interesting uh, plot for a film. Uh, that isn't just about Ricky Gervais uh, <laughs> trying to convince you that religion is. Uh, I don't really know what the fucking point of that film was. Is that was that Ricky? Was that was that like Ricky Gervais? Because if you look at if you look at the Book of Mormon, like the Book of Mormon is obviously making fun of the Mormon religion and kind of religion in general. But yeah. Matt Stone and Trey Parker, as like as as much as like the, the like. If if you're sitting there going, I love Matt Stone and Trey Parker, they say it like it is. It means that you value the opinion of a stoned sixteen year old over any kind of fucking nuance. 
Um, because Matt, Matt Stone and Trey Parker have basically nothing to say. Uh, they just think everything is stupid. Um, yeah. But uh, but the one thing that they do is that, that I can't I can't remember which is I think it's Matt Stone. I think he's the the one without glasses. Um, or maybe that's Trey Parker. It's one of them. But he's like he's like the kind of main writer, and he's like, I can't be religious because my brain doesn't work that way. Um, but. <laughs> Which is a genuine thing. Like I, I have the same thing. Like I, I will never yeah. be. I will never believe in God, because you will never get my brain to just be like, well, we have to look at the logic of the thing and the and the way that it works and blah blah blah. But at the end of it, it's okay. There's just a guy. There's a, there's a guy that just did all that stuff, right? <laughs> that, no, I, yeah. I'm not. I'm never going to work that way. Uh, but but he but he says like this seems it, this show seems like it's making fun of religion. It isn't. This is my love letter to religion. Because I wish that I could have that. Ricky Gervais does not have that. Yeah, yeah. He just thinks it's. I, I don't really get what the point of the the, the invention of lying was. Yeah, because like uh, there's uh, there's there's an episode about uh, the Mormons. There's an episode of South Park, and it it goes in on it, and it takes the piss, and but it ends with the Mormon kid being like, "Okay, well you don't believe in it, but I do, and so does my family, and it give, makes us gives us joy, and it makes us good people." What's wrong with that? And it's like you know, and, and now, I do have a problem with that. Um, <laughs> genuinely, like I, I like I, I, if we're gonna get out of this, because fuck it. It's, but do you know what? Let's let's use Menage a Trois, Menage a Troy, because this is the episode that no one's gonna fucking listen to anyway. Uh, let's just use this episode to get our hottest takes out of the way. Um, I think that the world will be a better place when religion is abolished, because religion is is about in in some ways oh man this is going to get me cancelled i think religion in some ways is about fostering an inherent in curiosity about the world oh no, yeah i'll give you that yeah like i i i if you whatever you believe in that's that's fine right i'm not i'll make fun of you behind your back but um <laughs> if, if whatever you believe in, if you think that's the way it goes, like that's great. But all it does is tell me that you have already come to a conclusion. Yeah, and and the thing I will and say I in addition is that when it comes to the um, that episode of South Park specifically about the Mormons, um, that's a super superficial response because as many people who have left the Mormon faith will tell you, it's actually an incredibly creepy and incredibly dangerous cult to be part of. Yeah. So um, it's like there a, are problems. I got into a big conversation the other day with my mum. Now, my mum and I are very similar people. Um, in, in more ways that, like, we like we look exactly alike. Like, I look like the fucking face app male version of her, right? Um, <laughs> and, like, we, we, we sound the same, we talk the same, we have the same syntax when we, when we speak. It, it's actually quite bizarre. Um, but she really believes in ghosts um, and I don't and we had it we were sitting in the theater the other day and at half time we when my mom and i talk sometimes it sounds like we're having a fight but it's not <laughs> that's just how we communicate with each other and laura was literally in the middle and my mom was like i can't believe you don't have an open mind about ghosts and i'm like i do have an open mind about ghosts and that's why i don't believe in them <laughs> yeah 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 that's yeah. the point yeah, like if you could bring me, like this is the thing as well. I, I think that 
this is this is something that I, a lot of people don't realise. I consider myself a fairly rational person. I don't believe in a lot of bullshit. Um, but if you were to bring me any form of irrefutable proof, something that would convince me, yeah. I wouldn't be angry that I'd been wrong. I would be delighted. Ex- I'd be excited that a new thing was real. Yeah. And also, yeah. I'd be just like, if you could convince... Like, if I was like... If I met like the vampire slayer and it turned out the entire world of demons and vampires and all of that was real, it's like that that that'd be what I'd be doing then. Yeah. <laughs> that would be what I'd be, because I'd be like, oh, this is much cooler. Magic is real. magic. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, um, like, I, 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 so I, I wrote a pilot script uh, that was um, well, you've read it. It's um, it's basically what if Buffy saved the world when she was 19 and now she's 35 and just works in the gig economy as a monster killer. Um, <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, but uh, I, I, the pilot is about her kind of finding a new assistant uh, as pilot should go. And I sent it to someone to be like, um, uh, who, who's like, like a, a very well-established kind of, kind of comedy writer and stuff. I said, can you give us a once over and let me get it back? And he gave it back and he says, the one of the things I really hate about it is at one point the the Buffy character is like, oh, this is my magic jacket. It has all my things in it. And the the other character went, wait, so magic's real as well? Um, And he said, take that out. I hate it when that happens. And I'm like, but that's exactly how you would react. (laughs) That's like quite a realistic, oh, magic's real. Oh, that's, tell me more about that. Um, because like I could, I could, I could very easily believe that we live in a universe where ghosts exist, but where magic doesn't. Yeah. So if if ghosts were revealed to be real, I'd be like, all right. I'm fully prepared to believe that there is a scientific explanation uh, for ghosts. Um, but but here's the thing: it would need to be a scientific explanation for observable phenomena, which no one has ever shown me. <laughs> like until I've observed the phenomena, I'm not going to start trying to work out what the explanation for it is. And then there's also the other side, which is that if if science ever um, captures belief, like like fully provable existence of ghosts, we have to be ready to then get into. As, Cap- as Captain Jack, as Father Jack would say, it's an ecumenical matter because exist- proof of the existence of ghosts is not the same as proving that ghosts are the spirits of dead people. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'd have to reconcile with that because you'd be people who'd be like, well, there definitely is an afterlife. And I'd be like, well, no, that's like saying that mushrooms exist, therefore magic powers must be real because you associate those two together with Super Mario, which is a story that's been made up by some guy. Years ago, I was working on a um, bit of sh- a short story science fiction, um, and it was my the the idea was that the there is a weird energy cloud that exists in a way that human beings cannot currently detect and it is orbiting the sun at more or less the exact same uh, rate as the earth and they occasionally pass through each other and that captures like images and stuff that's happening and then it replays them when it goes through again and that's what ghosts are right now that could be a that could be a, a thing that happened and it doesn't mean that therefore ghosts are the spirits of the dead you know, it's yeah. like that's it's it's 
if they were real. But the, but this is the thing as well. I'm going to say the same. I'm I don't believe in any of this stuff. But at some point in my life, I am going to go to the Pacific. Uh, Midwest and look for Bigfoot and it's not because I believe Bigfoot is real but it's if I'm ever in that area that's the place where I'm most likely to see a Bigfoot Yeah, it's <laughs> so the same, I'll give it a go it's the same <laughs> thing as I think belief in ghosts is belief in nonsense but by god if it's dark and I hear a noise I'm still <laughs> terrified of ghosts <laughs> Well, your biggest fear is werewolves, isn't it? Which yes, weird, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I am. If, if, <laughs> if you're catching up on this, I have like a, a I mean, obviously, a, a fear of werewolves is irrational to begin with. <laughs> but I have like a truly bizarre. I think werewolves are by far the scariest thing, and I don't, that I don't really, I don't man. really know why. No, vampires are sexy. Werewolves, <laughs> very rarely want to fuck you. I, the problem is, I think this is the problem. I think when vampire, when people think of vampires, I think a lot of them think of like, you know, Angel and Spike. Whereas my my tastes are more, I think Nosferatu, uh, and that's not sexy. Uh, that's like, he's got a, a mouthful of needles, and that might be your thing. I don't know. If you look like a Nosferatu, maybe you'll find love. But <laughs> I don't want to be one of you. So Riker and Troy. <laughs> And Loxana get kidnapped by the Ferengis. Yeah. And put in a jail cell uh, next to the chess area. Yeah, where, where else do you have your chess area? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the Ferengi is annoyed that Riker beat him at chess. Yeah. Um, but Riker finds it difficult to play chess from his prison cell, uh, which is uh, a Celtic song. Um, <laughs> that's for no one. Uh, <laughs> uh, by a lonely prison wall, uh, mm. Queen to night three. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so the Frankie lets him out, uh, and the Frankie's like, "Oh, you think I'm you think I'm an idiot? Like you you really think this is going to work? You think I'm going to let you out? And then you pretend to come and play, and then you just just knock me the fuck out? Yeah, yeah, all right." Spin me another one, William. Um, and then Will Riker's like, no, no, it's, that's not what's going to happen. And then, of course, it cuts away to Picard. Uh, and then back, and there's a Ferengi on the floor because uh, he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and he let Riker out. Why would you ever, let, why would you ever do that? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I, I've got a, an interesting thing to talk about but from this episode, but not based on this episode. So there's a point where they're like they don't know where the Ferengi ship's gone and Geordie's talking to Picard and he goes well they're almost as fast as the Enterprise yeah and I've just got their name and is Starfleet Superman in that <laughs> um, they are usually the most powerful force in any circumstance that they encounter like you have to throw some really really over like Q is can like mess with Starfleet that's like for like Mixus Piddlick at Superman. Um, and by that, I don't mean that as an insult, because if you think Superman being overpowered means that he's not a good character, I, I'm sorry that you've, you've not read good Superman You don't understand comics. Superman, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but, because something is going to happen to podcasts from now. Yeah. That puts Starfleet in their place 
so badly um, <laughs> that they never stop talking about it. Um, yeah, and that can that thematically that can only happen to a force that basically feels itself invincible. I was going to say, yeah, uh, it. What is going to occur is the doomsday. If, if if my Superman analogy is what you're following, mm-hmm. um, and what I was going to say is that makes is, and this is going to be something that's going to annoy people who don't like Superman. So I'm going to explain this: Starfleet being the most powerful thing in any situation is what makes Starfleet interesting, because the question isn't are they going to be able to do this? It's how, and it's how are they going to be able to do this in the ethically correct fashion yeah which is the correct thing with like superman like superman you aren't like oh how's he going to solve this it's like now how's he going to do this where no one dies and he can hopefully convince someone that's being bad that they've made a mistake yeah no (laughs) and they should reconsider yeah yeah it it, it, yeah exactly like the, the enterprise could blow anything out the fucking water do you know what i mean so, yeah, it, there's regularly people go like, "Oh, what would win the fight? Like the 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 Death Star, or the like uh, an Imperial Star Destroyer, or the Enterprise?" And it's like oh, it's the Enterprise, and hand, hands down by a million miles. I yeah, no way. It, you... It's small enough to figure out where that fucking vent cover is, <laughs> and the the crew is so well oiled that. Yeah. They can't just go. They, 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 they'll just yeah. They'll just do it. Like they, yeah. <laughs> of course, like yeah. The, the Enterprise could take on the Death Star. No issue, mate. Yeah. Oh, we need a. We need. There's a the hold there. Should we fire a photon torpedo down there, or, or send data? <laughs> yeah. Because as 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 Star because Star Star Trek at its core, and this is why Star Trek is timeless, as as well as the like. Star Trek obviously appeals quite a lot to the fringes of society, um, or, or like as we were discussing earlier, like pop culture generations. Like the next generation, these people aren't the fringe; they're they're almost kind of the mainstream, uh, which is kind of the the, the neuro uh, diverse community, because it's yeah. literally a bunch of people who set aside emotion and get together as smart people to use their brains to solve problems, and that's yeah. all it is. That's that's all Star Trek is, um, and and ev- and ev- in that sentence, Star Trek is smart people using their brains to solve problems. We can still have emotion, we can still have conflict because that's covered by the word people. Yeah, and we can still have what makes Starfleet Star Trek great, which is the moral questions, because that's covered by problems. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's. <laughs> I read a I read a book on negotiation uh, by a guy who was a an FBI hostage negotiator, um, and he said the best advice I can give you about negotiation is that don't ever see the other person as the enemy. The situation is the enemy, and you and the other person have to solve it together. Ah, yeah, okay, which is really nice. Way like of things. Can't do that with the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> on a 
on a, a slightly tangential note, just just because I want to drop it in on the record, um, if you are one of the people who thinks Superman is boring because he's overpowered, but also insists that Batman would win every fight, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd win every fight, Batman is by definition overpowered and therefore not interesting. What makes Batman interesting is the fact that the Flash could... If if the Batman and Flash had a, had a fight, Flash could travel back in time and stop Batman's parents getting shot, and then Batman doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you know what? We're 39 minutes in. At this point, we've already scared everybody off because we have two fucking white guys in our 30s being like, if you think ghosts are real, it's because you're an idiot. Um, so fucking, do you know what? Let's just hit out with all our worst takes. <laughs> Um, uh, um, uh, uh, Gen, Gen Z don't understand comedy because they think that all of The Simpsons is basically okay. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I personally wish COVID had been more devastating to the over 50s. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go on record saying that. <laughs> so I won't. It was when it kicked in. It's like I was going to kill everyone over fifty. I was like, "Oh no, I'll get a house and have to rejoin the EU." Oh, no. <laughs> oh, what a disaster! Uh, what a disaster! Uh, the worst generation in history, who've spent the last twenty years being absolutely catered to that everything that they think is the right way to be, has a dissenting <laughs> opinion on what's fucking safe and helpful in a situation. <laughs> Oh, Wesley gets promoted. Yes, I'm. Ve- I'm quite excited about that um, because La- La- Laura and I, because it, because it, 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 Picard is like Picard, because because we- Wesley solves the, the situation essentially. Wes- Wesley finds the three, the Riker. In doing so, Riker sends a message, but only Wesley catches it. And in doing so, Wesley misses his ride to go take the oral exam for Starfleet, which apparently you can't do. Via subspace on the comm system. Via uh, Zoom. <laughs> yeah. um, and also in this episode, Wesley has to deal with the fact that if he um, goes to the Academy, when he eventually becomes an ensign, he, one, might not get sent back to the Enterprise, and two, Picard might not even be in charge of the Enterprise. Yeah. Like, everybody might have moved around, and he has to deal with that. Um, and Wesley's a bit torn by that, because... Wesley's forgotten that he's in an incredibly episodic show. <laughs> like, if he was on Deep Space Nine, there's a chance that the people might not be there. Like, oh, if he was on Discovery, that crew's going to change drastically. They're going to time travel a thousand years specifically <laughs> to get rid of them. Yeah, but um, as, it, as it is, no, everyone will be in the same place. Um, Tasha's already left. <laughs> yeah. O'Brien will be gone. O'Brien will be gone. <laughs> Wesley's drinking partner. <laughs> Um, so Picard Field promotes him now. From acting ensign to ensign 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 ensign. Now Laura yeah. was like, "How how can he do that? Cause surely he needs to go to school." And it's like, and I said, "Well, I, I guess it kind of makes sense that any captain does have the power to do that, but most captains would be like, I'm not promoting some kid.' <laughs> That's what Starfleet Starfleet Academy exists." Because captains have the power to do that and simply choose not to because most <laughs> children are psychopathic morons. 
But Wesley yeah. is very clever, so it's worth getting him to be an ensign. And Picard was told by essentially a god being that Wesley is is going to be the world's greatest accelerationist or something. Yeah, I mean he's not. Um, nah. What actually happens is he ends up going off with the aliens in later series and and and, and doesn't because of their the nomadic and non-interference policy. He doesn't actually assist the advancement of the human race at, at all. It's the same alien who tell who told Picard that he was going to be special, who then removes him from the human civilization. Luckily, Dave replaces him with a much, much sexier son. <laughs> yeah, and he has to go to the academy. Goes through quick, but he still has to go yeah. um, before he gets to sit next to Seven on the Enterprise. Captain Seven, yeah. Which, which just goes to show that the Titan... Which it was called before, which was what um, uh, what's his face? That's like right, ship. Yeah, that's uh, and and that's the ship that what's his face set up, not Metallis. Um, that ship doesn't matter um, because it was only in two crap series of Picard <laughs> 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 and not one. Uh, man, oh man, Picard season three. Just I, I just love it. I saw somebody kicking off about it right the other day. Right, I'm going to talk about this because this annoyed me. And they were talking about how they don't like like um, nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, and they were slagging off. And I was going to say something about it, which was, I agree, one hundred percent. In general, the nostalgia addiction of, um, uh, like, current culture is crippling. It's one of the reasons that I, I am going to say this right now. If you listen to this on the 29th of September, there is a movie coming out called The Creator. It is not based on an existing IP. It is an interesting science fiction movie that they seem to have spent a lot of money on. Go see that. Or only have yourself to blame, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I. Right. But here's the thing. Star Trek: The Next Generation fans, specifically Next Generation fans, have never gotten any nostalgia. They, 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 they. The first Star Trek: Next Generation movie, they, they destroyed the Enterprise. So then, all of the rest of the movies were on some other ship that I didn't care about. Um, then they did two seasons of Picard where we don't go back to it. And then after they did, um, like, so they did Deep Space Nine and TNG, like that era, Once and, and Voyager, once that finished, the next thing was they did Enterprise, and then after that everything's been a reboot set around the Kirk era. Yeah. Like, or just before, or like some version of that. So we... Like so, yeah. I get in general. I don't like nostalgia, but when you consider that Picard season three is the only nostalgia that TNG fans have ever been given, yeah, it's <laughs> I like, think it's acceptable. I I have conflicted feelings about the Star Wars sequels, um, right? And 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 I include the Mandalorian in that because it's like, well, they're all just nostalgia fest, and it's yeah, they are on one hand, yeah. But do you know what period of time I really don't care about anymore? The time period between episode three and episode four? Because <laughs> I did massively care about that. And then you made Andor and it was like, how are you going to improve on this? Like, how how are you going to give us anything about a period of tyranny and rebellion any better than this? So now I don't give a fuck. What I really give a fuck about is the post-return of the Jedi period. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. I 
I don't understand. Like I saw somebody, I, I saw somebody say something that I really agree with, which was somebody said, if you were going to make a Star Trek series, somebody gave you your rights to make it, what time period it would it be set in? And their response was, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be relying on links to stuff from previous series. The only thing that would come into my head about that is that I know that things like the holodeck don't come in until the TNG era. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I would just be like, I will set it however many years after TNG Patrick Stewart currently is. (laughs) Because if I want to be like, do you know what? Just for a laugh, we'll have Admiral Crusher show up. Like to, yeah. to 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 give an award to someone, but other than yeah. that, this crew is going to be going out boldly where no one has gone before to seek out new life and new civilizations. I would. The only way I would be interested in something that was like a follow up series is I would like to see a starship that a starship from Starfleet that was in charge of the mission to go back to the Delta Quadrant and essentially undo all the damage that Janeway did. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch that. <laughs> I also think that Voyager should have ended without them getting home. Uh, I think the, the, the final episode should have been uh, ended with a, a point where it was like set 500 years in the future and it was the Delta Quadrant Federation meeting up with the existing Federation. Is like, oh, we were founded by Janeway from the others and we all got together so now we can join together. That's a, a, that's how Stargate Universe ends. Is it? Yeah. Stargate Universe ends with them basically figuring out that there's no way for them to get back to Earth. So they just settle on a planet. And just... Oh, right. And then you get... The, the, the camera... It's it's like a little settlement. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it basically it's, it's like a little settlement and then the camera sort of zooms out and as the camera zooms out, it starts doing a time lapse until it's like a city civilization. Right. That's... Because there's like hundreds of people on the, uh, the fuck whatever the fuck the name of the ship was from Stargate Universe. There was like hundreds of people on it, so they could make a civilization from it. I hope they recorded a video, like because I would hate to think that the people living in that city are like, well, yeah, they say they the the stories go they landed in a spaceship and it's been, like, no, 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 we've we've got the tape, we've got the ship. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't that so literally there. the point, the plot of Battlestar Galactica? Is that they left Earth so long ago that Earth is now a legend? Or... That they right, left okay. Earth so long ago that Earth has had a life cycle and humans are yet to evolve or something? I can't really remember the end of that. Right, yeah, so it ends with them arriving on a Earth pre-civilization. Um, and I don't know <laughs> to what extent that is, that they are originally from Earth or if they just happened across it. Yeah. So it's, a, it's 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 unclear. Um, Battlestar Galactica is a great show, but it's also the uh, like the people who wrote it have admitted that they were making up as they go along. Um, and there are a few times when um, what the audience thought might be happening is uh, like twenty times more interesting than what the writers came up with. Yeah. Um, because there's like a bit where those like characters realise they're Cylons, and it's like that doesn't make any logical sense unless they've been Cylons for years, which they sh- like they couldn't have been, or they've been replaced, or they don't know it. Or as somebody who came up online was, what if being Cylon is sexually transmitted? Yeah. 
I was like, okay, that would that that'd be great. Um, but it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Have, uh, all I've got in my notes really I don't is um, any notes. <laughs> uh, I've got uh, Wesley was going to go fuck his staying. Um, oh, and um, Picard does some sort of Shakespearey stuff. That was cool. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not an important episode. The thing is, it's trying to be a comedy episode, I think, but it's not even all that funny. funny. Yeah. Oh. Um, there's a bit where Picard's as well, like looking out the window, and they're because they're, they're mapping a nebula, and that's why they don't know that Riker's been kidnapped because they can't communicate from inside the nebula. And he's like, "Oh, it's beautiful," and it gives all these things, but it's just a fucking view screen, like view of some stars. Yeah. And all I could think was like, right, I look, I'm not gonna bash old older Star Trek shows for doing what they could with the budget they had. But all I could think is, if I was watching a Strange New Worlds episode and Pike was gonna tell me how beautiful space was, there'd be something outside happening that was fucking incredible. I mean they they, they did it. They they've done the definitive moment of that, which is at the end of Picard season three, episode four. With the, the when they're in this sort of womb, this space womb thing, oh, and, yeah. and then it hatches and all the jellyfish come out, and and it's just this wonderful moment with beautiful music, and then just Bev says to seek out new life. Perfect, like like chills, actual chills. So there's a thing that's floating around um, for um, years. So you know, uh, an uh, enterprise. Mm-hmm. ends with basically the federation being formed yeah um and part of the thing is uh, that we hear in that is that um uh, part of how it ends is that uh, archer it needs to give a speech um and and the joke is that it cuts off and the, the speech doesn't get heard and that speech has been mentioned and referenced multiple times in star trek um, but it's never actually been like repeated in in cat like in the universe what it is. Um, I've always chosen to believe that that speech is the the these are the voyages of the like, to seek out new life. I uh, don't think so oh. because Zephram Cochrane does say that at does one he? point in Enterprise. Yeah. <sighs> There's, there's, there's the, there's a bit where they're. I don't think it's. I think it might be the, the, the forming of the federation, but there's a bit where they're all watching. They're all around and they're all watching a, a view screen of Zephyr Cochran. And he's like a little bit older, and he's the one who says, "We will go boldly where no one has gone before, and to seek out new life and new civilization." I think he says, "Man." I think he very specifically says, "Man." Right, uh, but, okay. but, but that exa- like so the, the, the Enterprise speech. Yeah. Does come Damn. from coffee? No, it's a, it's a good idea though. Like, like, it, yeah. like to the to the point where talking about fan service, like, they, sometimes you should leave things up to your fans' imaginations. And like, the idea that Archer once gave a speech that we never get to hear, the fans yeah. going, "Well, of if anything, we we have heard that more than anything else." Yeah, is clever, but it, it just it, it doesn't go that way. Yeah, oh, damn. Yeah. But yeah, uh... <laughs> that's it. It's, it's... A, it's the first time that anyone uses the uh, the Cochrane unit of measurement to measure subspace distances or something. Yeah. Other than um... that, who gives a shit? Skip this one. 
yeah, Wesley ends up in in uniform. Yeah, uh, meaning Troy is the only person on the bridge who's not properly dressed <laughs> uh, <laughs> for reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just it's a Lux, you, you could probably skip every Luxana Troy episode of Star Trek, and it wouldn't negatively affect your viewing. This one's all right. Yeah, Majel Vod- Majel is the voice of the computer. That's should be good enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.